<clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. When I go to the Philippines, everyone says I'm white, I'm American, and when I'm here, everyone says I'm Asian. That's Mark Winhofer, team captain of the Yale soccer team. He spent part of his childhood in the Philippines while his mom served as IBM's first female country president. He's played on the Philippine national junior and senior football teams nicknamed the Askels, is graduating with a degree in economics and plans to join the Askels development team in 2021. Mark's resilience, hard work, and multiple stories of comeback demonstrate a drive that cannot be underestimated and have set the stage for successful careers on and off the field. This is Partially Pinoy, and we are powered by Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics. The goal is really to understand how um, your identity as a half Filipino has shaped you. How did your parents meet, Mark? So they both went to school at Fordham University in New York. My dad was a junior, my mom was a freshman. My mom played volleyball at Fordham and my dad played soccer at Fordham. And then one day the soccer team was watching the volleyball team. And then my dad laid eyes upon my mom. And I guess from there they hit it off. And 35 years later, four kids, Wow. So your parents met. And so this means that your mom actually grew up here part of the time or what, what's her story? So much of this is about your mom. Yeah. Um, so my mom went to Assumption, I think, until she was 16 or 17. And then my Lola and Lolo were like, they traveled a lot to the States and traveled all over. So my mom took a, like a transfer program in Illinois where I grew up for a little bit. It was about 30 minutes from where I grew up, actually and then decided to go to Fordham. And I've, you know, done a bit of research on her. She's an IBM executive, right? Is yeah. that still the case? Yeah, yeah. She wants to retire soon. She's, uh, she's banking on me for her retirement. Get the last <laughs> kid through school. So you, you were born in the States? In New Jersey. My mom's job made us travel all over. I lived in four, five different states already. How old were you when you guys left New Jersey? New Jersey, I was about eight. So 8 to 12, I lived in Chicago. And then July 23rd, 2012 is when I moved to the Philippines. i never forget the day. Oh my gosh. How many years were you in the Philippines? Five fantastic years. Where did you go to school there? Uh, the international school. When you realized in New Jersey, Mawa, if I, if I got that right? Yep. yep. When you realized that your mixed race or, I, I, you know, as a mixed race person, your reality is, is the reality. It's just always the mm-hmm. way it is. My mom's this, my dad's this. They speak English to each other, even though their first languages are different, slightly different in your case. But when did you realize that you weren't like the majority of American kids? I don't think it was until I moved to the Philippines that I didn't realize I was mixed. Because when I grew up in New Jersey and in Chicago, I was in predominantly white areas. And... They always just said like, oh, like you're Asian, but you're white. So I always just assumed that I was white. Didn't really think of my Asian culture, what my mom brought to my family, even though like all of her family members came, I just thought of it as like a normal white thing to do for both families to come together. Um, And then when I went to my Omi's house, it was just all my Omi's, like my German grandmother. And then she would always say, yeah, you're, you're white. And then my little would say, oh, yeah, you're Asian. So it was, it was a battle internally to decide that I was half mixed. After living in the Philippines, I think I'm more Filipino than I am white. 
And that's a pretty common thing that I hear from people that, especially, you know, people have lived in the Philippines, that something about living there really solidifies this feeling that they are Filipino. You know, having lived there, it was it was always the case that somebody was pointing out to me that I was different. There must have been a lot of doting and all that kind of stuff. So let's start there. Well, when I went to the international school, I was dubbed as an American, like not as a race, but just as my culture, I was American. But I think the biggest wake-up call I had was when I went to the Filipino national team for the youth. Um, and it was all provincial kids. They didn't speak much English. I didn't speak any Tagalog at all. And when I went there, no one was really talking to me or even like trying to talk to me. I was really considered a foreigner. And it wasn't until I think my second or third time I was with them, they started to try to talk to me. And then we built relationships. And I think the most important part of that was like I built their trust. I think a lot of Filipinos have the sense of Americans and foreigners in general that they're, you're only there for a short amount of time and that they're going to leave and leave Filipinos behind and they're going to go live their life at their home country. But when I didn't leave the team, they built that trust. And that's when I first really felt that I was Filipino. And this was a club team that you did in addition to school? Um, no, this was the youth ASCALs, like U14. So that's surprising to me because I know the older ASCALs are very much international. And so that does that, were you kind of um, unique in being a mixed in the, in the younger team? Yeah, the whole, the whole team until I was about 18 or 19 was primarily kids from Davao, Visayas, all primarily like full Filipinos. And they looked at me and they just said, this guy isn't like us. And then it was the shared language of soccer that we developed that we were the same type of person. Like we'll fight for the jersey we'll fight for each other. And then I, I, I became part of that family. Going to an international school and also having my mom be very successful in the Philippines, everything was kind of handed to you on a platter. Um, and it's just about you trying to take the opportunities that are gifted to you. And then when I came back to the States, I had nothing again. And that was kind of a wake up call to say like, the Philippines is great, gives you a lot of opportunities, but you have to make sure when you're there, being like half half raced you're, you're gifted opportunities but you have to make sure you pounce on them yeah and that's actually a question i would love for you to share about is this intersection between privilege which you've always had and hard work which is who you are and so how did you you know when you realized wow like i i have these privileges not everyone gets to do what i do have what i have and then realizing that you actually have to put the work in. Uh, my mom and my dad, when they went to the States and went to college, they didn't have a whole lot. Uh, my mom kind of made her own way and paved her own way in IBM. And my father didn't grow up particularly rich. He grew up in the Bronx. Their work ethic really like latched onto me and just seeing work, what hard work can actually help you to do. And so I went to the Philippines and all of these opportunities came about. And there comes a time where people who are gifted these opportunities will do well to a certain point. But then when you try to move on to the next level, that's where the hard work comes into play. And I always felt that if I didn't grow up in the States, I think my mentality would have been a lot different if I grew up in the Philippines, just because I feel like the Filipinos are super nice. I, I've never met people like Filipinos. They 
with my national team, people had nothing. And they would, after the first couple of times I was there, they would always ask, are you okay? Do you need water? Do you need food? Like they would always come up to me and ask me if I was okay. And in the States, it's more of a hustle and bustle world where if you're not doing well, not, someone's not going to lend you a hand. You have to do it by yourself. A bit of that meritocracy expectation. Can you define like how your family executes the hard work? How do you kind of compare your work ethic to someone who's also very talented, but maybe is not as successful? My family just defines hard work as are you making yourself better each day? So if I'm in my room, am I going to sleep an extra three hours or am I going to hit the books or am I going to go work out? And then I've always had a little chip on my shoulder because I always grew up, I grew up very fat and I wasn't really like exiled for being super fat, but I wasn't accepted into like being a cool kid because no one wants to have like a fat friend growing up in the States. I don't know. It's weird, but having that and just working harder and then seeing the gains. I remember I started on my B team as a started on my B team and then moved up to my A team. And then that's when I really realized like hard work really does get you to places. And then when I went to the Philippines, like worked my way up through school and just put my hard work in there and then got into a very good college and then made the national team, which was tremendous. Tell me about going to Yale and how that affected your identity. I had the privilege of living in Ithaca for a year and spent a lot of time on the Cornell campus and you know, that world is very much not only a bubble, but it's like this amazing gift full of fancy toys that you get to have for these four years. And so how did, how did you fit into that world? How did, how did you feel accepted? How did soccer play a role in your, your life on campus beyond just the playing? But, you know, what did it mean to you as a student to have experienced what you had leading up to this amazing education that you get to have? There's always a question that non-athlete students have is like does the kid actually belong here or they're just here for sports that bridge to jump was kind of tough for me just because I've always been an academic person and to be like kind of shunned in the academic setting just because I was an athlete was kind of tough to swallow however surrounding yourself by the negativity has been one thing that I've tried to stay away from friendships I made on the soccer team and some of the friends I've had that aren't on the soccer team are probably friends I'm going to have for life. I think Yale is very different from other Ivy League schools because it's more of a community. At Yale, people want everyone to be successful. And that's one thing that I always take away. Like, no one is going to be trying to undermine you just to make their success greater. They're just going to try to outcompete you, which is very healthy, I think. Something that really fascinated me during my time there was that there were people who were very powerfully and legitimately always discussing really high-minded things like does God exist and then like here here is all the evidence for and here's all the evidence against (laughs) and it was such it was so mind-boggling I'd never experienced anything like that have you had moments like that when you just sort of pinch yourself and you're like I am with the best and the brightest in the world it's also the people but also the campus I think thinking about the historical events that's happened on Yale's campus being one of the first schools built and seeing all this the buildings, architecture there. I remember where we had our first meeting in our residential colleges and I looked around and it was like Harry Potter. It was like, I looked around, I was like, I was like, wow, like I don't belong to be here, but I'm here. Let's make the most out of it. And then also the conversations I've had in like classes and sections where kids are like pulling facts 
wow, this kid must be online all day studying and making sure they're prepared for section. And that was kind of a wake-up call because I was like, I'm not doing enough work to make an impact in the classroom. So my freshman year was definitely a wake-up call in that sense. So I'm sure Yale, as you said, is very humbling. And so do you feel like you have caught up to your classmates in, in some ways? I definitely have. I don't think the rigor of courses is too much different from the kind of classes I took in the international school. I think if I went to public high school in the States, it would have been a drastic change. The thing I try to balance is that like my social life, my soccer, and my education. And I think that a lot of people that are really pushing themselves in the classroom don't really stop and look around and say like, wow, I'm at Yale. Let me embrace what other things Yale can give me. Like the social life, the friends you can make from Yale. I think I've caught up in education, but my whole experience has been a holistic view of what I wanted my college experience to be like. When you were growing up, you knew that your mom was Filipino and you would visit your family. And it sounds like you also went to the Philippines when you were younger on vacation or was or did you not at all go? Not even once? Not even once. The first time I went to the Philippines was to look for houses that we were going to move into. What parts of your mom's Filipino culture was part of your daily life, daily culture, your, your, what you ate, that you kind of knew growing up was different from what other kids got? Well, definitely having rice at every meal was definitely one of the things that was different from an usual American household. Going to church every Sunday and then having a prayer before mostly before every meal when I was growing up was definitely different and I don't know I think just being close to my aunts and uncles um, they would always come down from the city to go to Jersey when I was super young and just to have like those big family dinners with the lumpia adobo we had like lechon and then we had lengua just like so much food when my friends come to my house they just look at the food and go like what is this especially like when you're five or six like you're not going to be trying lengua for the first time or kare kare like they just look at it and be like i'm not having it so like we'll get the mcdonald's or something so yeah that was probably something that stuck with me for my whole life and how did your father you know he's accepted this culture of course it sounds like wholeheartedly but how how did he interact with the culture I mean, he loves the Philippines. He loves the people there. Like I said, Filipinos are the nicest people in the whole world. One thing I found interesting in my interviews is that a lot of mixed race people, I I interviewed Misaf Bahadoran, and he's like me, half Filipino, half Iranian. His sister also married a half Filipino, half Iranian. And then I interviewed a Filipino Irish actress based in LA. And she also married a Filipino Irish actor. What was similar about that is that both of their dads were Filipino and both had very strong roots in Ireland. And so, you know, Misov said that all of his friends are mixed race because that is where he feels the most comfort you are very assimilated to American culture. So it feels to me that you probably go in between very easily, different cultures in general. But do you find yourself ever thinking, these are the people who really see me or... I'm really close to my family. I, I don't know about the other people. Like Misog was my teammate. I know families was his, one of his like, biggest things. He loves his family. But I think I get enough of both sides of that culture from my family. So when I'm like choosing friends, I'm not really looking about like what their culture is or what they believe in, but just how they are as a person and their morality. So it's nice because 
I kind of play like hide and go seek from my American culture and my Filipino culture. So I don't really have a culture and it goes hand in hand with saying like, I don't really have a home either just because when I go to the Philippines, everyone says I'm white, I'm American. And when I'm here, everyone says I'm Asian. So just picking friends just on morality has just been my thing. And just making sure I'm comfortable with them. I can tell my secrets and just having a trusting relationship. Have people asked you about your name, why it's, why you look one way and then your name is Mark Winhofer? Does that ever come up? No, no, it actually hasn't, surprisingly. What you said actually just reminds me of my own experience of, of how I love Persians, but I don't feel fully Persian. I love Filipinos. I feel very accepted by them, but I will never feel fully Filipino. Is that something that you know, maybe you don't think about all the time, but exactly as you said, you know, it's like this, where, what am I, you know, like, has that come up? Yeah, that's come up a lot, especially because my grandmothers are very old fashioned. They're quite old. So they always say, oh, you're white or you're Filipino. And just hearing the contrasting views of what I am from very elderly people, I don't really know. And it's like an internal battle to find out who I really am. Um, And that's why I think America is so great, just because there's so many different cultures and identities. We'll return to our show and hear more from our guest in just a moment. And I, I love criticism. I always... I think criticism and doing bad in some things is a great learning experience. This show is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia, powered by Podmetrics. Podmetrics takes care of the details so we can focus on making the best content for you. Visit podmetrics.co and sign up for free. Use code PARTIALLYPINOY. I know you come from a family of underachievers. (laughs) Uh, Your sister was on Broadway, as you said, and now she has her own brand. And you're the youngest. I know that they drove you to to work really hard. Did you ever watch them struggle with their own identity and try to figure out how to navigate being mixed? Yeah, I, I would say for my sister, that was definitely the toughest thing because... When she was growing up, like I said, we grew up in very predominantly white neighborhoods. And she always said, like, she always felt different to everybody else just because she was of a different color or her face was different. And it was always an uphill battle because, like, especially on Broadway, they want back then when she was dancing on Broadway, it was predominantly more white people as well. So just seeing her struggle and pave her own way to be successful was definitely inspiring to me. They would always say, oh, I wish I'd done this or I wish I did this. Just mark whatever you do. Just make sure you're 100% focused on what your end goal is. Because if you start segueing to other things that are distractions, then it will lead you into a different path that you don't want to go to. I I was watching some of your highlight reels and I think there are a few people of color, but predominantly white, I would say. So, yeah, I think the problem with America and soccer in general is that it's always a pay-to-play system. I'm super blessed to have my mom and dad and be super successful to grasp the opportunity to play soccer and pursue it and go to all these camps, get a lot better. It's just so messed up that 
in a country like ours where like basketball to play like you don't really need a feel you don't need a team like you can play for your school and that's predominantly the strongest team in the state where soccer is more club-based and it's really about generate generating revenue want to talk about the world cup because we as a family were introduced to it six years ago and James Rodriguez was like the star of that particular World Cup. And I got to see him play. I saw a friendly between um, El Salvador and Colombia. And I was mesmerized. Like James does not actually run like a normal person. Like I felt like just his body movement was different. His, his cadence was different. The way everything about the way he moved was different from everyone else. And I wanted to ask you, you know, you are kind of getting teed up to compete at that level. When you're exposed to those types of players, like how do you kind of decide that, hey, like A, I deserve to be on the same field as these guys. And then B, I can manipulate my body or use my work ethic to get to the point where I'm just as good as anybody else. I've gone into new teams not being the best player or not being the most technical, but my work ethic shows that even it's not where you start, it's always where you finish. So obviously if I'm playing with Thomas Rodriguez, I want to be asking him a lot of questions. I want to see like how he thinks of the game because soccer is free flowing. So the decisions you're making, is not like per se like football where you have a set play every time, every down, but like it's free flowing. So just seeing where his mind's at and trying to tailor that to my game or even saying like how he kicks the ball. I know like it's hard to revamp your technique when you're 20, 21, 22, but just learning his little tricks that makes him such a special player because he's not the most athletic guy in the world. And what we've seen in the past 10, 15 years, it's not really the most athletic people that are the best players in the world. Yes, you have to have some baseline athletic ability to become a professional soccer player, but it's those who are thinking a lot quicker than everyone else, those who have better technical ability. I also realized that he's such a leader because, and I think the leadership is also part of why he's so great. I, I think the biggest part of being in a team, whether it's in athletics or in school, you have to have everyone feel a part of being the team. Even though if they're not playing or if they're not getting the minutes they want to, you want them to feel like what you're doing on the field is a result of what they've helped you do in training. So like having celebrations, running to your team, hugging them and being like, yeah, like, let's go boys. Come on. Like it just makes them feel like they're part of the game, even though they're on the bench. So like, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Like his leadership quality doesn't only exist on the field. You have, you know, been able to be placed in these circumstances, some more privileged than others, but, but every time you have grown within those spaces, was that conscious? I remember, if I can like recall a memory, I didn't make like an ID2 team when I was 12 years old and just not being a part of like saying like the best 18 players in my region for that specific camp, I was really hurt by it. So every time I go into a camp, I'm making sure I'm preparing way more than the other kids and just making sure I never get that feeling again because like the next two or three months I trained really hard and then there was like this ODP thing that I made. You always have, like for me, it's like always keeping your, keeping bridges alive, making sure that you keep connections. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. So if someone is more talented than you in the beginning, 
And then later down the line, a team's like, oh, I don't want them, but they like my work ethic, then I'll get the opportunity. And how did you go from caring that much to be on the best team when you had made the B team, I think when you'd started off, right? So when did you sort of make the decision that, you no, know, the B team isn't going to work for me, right? So like something had to switch for you. Like seeing my brother succeed and everywhere they went for soccer was one thing. I always like set up milestones that they had done. So it's like they were always on the A team. So I didn't do that. So I was like, I got to get my gotta get my stuff together. And then they were like freshman year, they made their varsity team and then they were on the academy. And so like I had being the youngest, I had these pedestals to look at and be like, am I on track to see where my brothers are? And then as of, as of late, like I've gone past those barriers. So I'm in an unprecedented territory. So it's just finding the next step, but having also the end goal in your mind. So making the B team wasn't necessarily, it wasn't isolated. It was more just like almost a test or some sort of assessment, you know, like this is where I am right now, Yeah. but this is not where I want to be. How did your dad, he, he lived in the Philippines for those five years? Yes, yes. He actually retired when we moved to the Philippines because the process of getting his dental license there was too much. And we didn't think we would be living there for five years, but our whole family fell in love with living there. So it was really, really beneficial on my part because he was always with me and always training me and always coming to my games. And then afterwards, he would tell me, like, we'll discuss things I did right, things I did wrong. And I, I love criticism. I always, I think criticism and doing bad in some things is a great learning experience. So having my dad always by my side and coming to games was very beneficial for my development as a player and also as a person. So he was like a full-time coach almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you just got to have your dad around all the time, which is also amazing. You formally started at nine. Yeah, like eight, eight-ish, nine. But like around that, eight, around that age group. Yeah, yeah. But I always, had a, I always had like a ball around me. Like I was always kicking and playing with my brothers. So it's probably way younger than that. Every time I talk to people who are professional athletes, they always say that one of the things that helped them was that they played lots of different sports in the beginning until they chose their sport. Was that the case for you? Yeah. Yeah. I played baseball and I played basketball. I was really into basketball and baseball when I was younger, more so than soccer, I would say. But then I realized looking at my parents' genes, I was like, this is probably not the best sport for me. So I, I kind of tailored, like also having my family watch soccer all the time. And I was like, this is definitely the sport that I want to be playing. But having the different movements of baseball, like, Baseball is a lot of hip to like thrust to like make sure your throw is hard and accurate and also to bat. And then also basketball is a lot of lateral movement. So like having those movements like separates you from other people who are just playing soccer. Of course, like other soccer players are probably like doing more technical things, but having the baseline movements of other sports would definitely help. And then once you decided on soccer, then it was just club. It's the club teams that really developed you when you were young. That's, that's always tough. I, you have to make sure you're in an environment that makes you still love soccer. I, I would say like I had a very great experience with my club team in the States. I was about to move to like Chicago Fire Academy when I was 13, but moving to the Philippines. When I was in the Philippines, like soccer felt very free flowing. Like it was just like, this is what I love. This is like where my home is. That's where my home is. This is a soccer field. Of course, playing with better players is going to help when you're like 14, 15, 16. But at a young age, it's really about having drills and playing by yourself and just developing that first. 
developing the love for the game because you don't want to burn out too quickly. Wow. So for you, home is an amazing description because I know you've said that you knew that you were meant to go to Yale when it, because it felt like home. The soccer field is a version of home for you, but where, where is home? Like where is truly your home? It's definitely where my parents and my siblings are. I think if I have that supporting system, I, I think we can make home from anywhere. I don't really have a home affiliated to a country, but it's just where my family is. If you can just sort of decide now and say, hey, this is what I want to do with my soccer, and then separate from that, this is what I want to do with my life after soccer, what, are, what is sort of the ultimate wish? My ultimate wish is to help the Philippines make the World Cup. That's first and foremost. It's long overdue. And then playing in a very high-level system in America, Asia, or in Europe, I think would be great. For my work life, post-college, I, I just wished like, it was still like college where you could play soccer and work in the business realm. But I, I would say probably following in my mother's footsteps, uh, working for IBM, and then just seeing for the first few years, seeing if that's where my home is in the workplace. And if it's not my home, then I'll go from there. I'm lucky enough to have a job offer there for after college. So I felt like home for my two internships there. So if the MLS thing doesn't work? Uh, that's, a, that's a question to have later on. I don't want op- to open or close any doors. No, let's not open or close any doors. I think, I think it's pretty incredible listening to your interview. And I thought it came up that, oh, if MLS doesn't work, I'll just go play for the Philippine national team. Clearly like first world problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mark, I am so grateful for you. And for your time, I have learned so much. I think being mixed race is something that you can't really understand unless you're in it. And so I think these discussions are so important to have, especially as the world kind of moves in this direction. You are an inspiration and, and I know that other kids like us will, will get the benefit of hearing your story. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Partially Pinoy is a Podcast Network Asia production in partnership with Bridger Media in Los Angeles. Our show is developed and executive produced by Leila Jerusalem. The series is produced by Nikai Lucanias. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.